every 10 or 15 years, a film is produced that is so overwhelming, so forceful in its impact, that it becomes deeply embedded in the mind. Persons under 18 will not be admitted. This is Kenny Lee Lewis from the Steve Miller Band. Hey, what's up? This is Jeremy Palco from The Walking Dead, and this is Still Toking Wit. Hey, everybody. This is Ed Scalia, and I'm going to be on Still Toking Wit on Dorkinate. Podcast Network. Be there. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. We have very active lifestyles. It's not all wandering the countryside aimlessly or scaring passing motorists. And we all love a good cup of joe. And there's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. Bold, robust, delicious. It's coffee that can wake the dead. <laughs> With over a dozen different roasts and flavors, Deadly Grounds can satisfy the most finicky of coffee addicts. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Hey, hey, happy Wednesday, everybody. You're watching Still Token With. My name is Leo. I'm the monkey behind the keyboard here. We have an awesome show scheduled for you, as always. And Mr. Benjamin. You caught me turning up my headset. I did, I did. Busted. No, yeah, Wednesday, season four, just starting off again here. Amazing guest. I'm super, super psyched for tonight's guest. Uh, I'm going gonna, 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 gonna to let Jeff... Uh, See if he can butcher the name. Yeah, I have questions. I have questions. I have, I have lots of questions. I have lots of questions. Now, I'm, I'm going to be nice. I won't, I won't butcher his name. But, uh, you know, um, I just want to get into this. This has been something that uh, I've read about. Um, you know, obviously seen the movie about it, how accurate it is. We're going to find out. Let's bring in Mr. Bill Willard. Greetings. Hey, how are you, gentlemen? We're we are well. doing excellent. So we're Thank here to you. talk about a boat? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> a ship. A ship? Okay. A ship. Big ship. They, they float. Oh, I thought we were here to talk about physics. Yeah, we can do that, too. We can oh, do that, too. Show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could do that, Buoyancy, too. how buoyancy and Archimedes principle, when it doesn't work correctly, something happens. Ship sinks. Ship sinks. Ship sinks. Ship sinks. So, wow. all right, go ahead. I know everybody. Everybody's like itching for questions here, so I'm just gonna 
Go ahead. All right. So, well, my first question is, uh, how did you, or maybe why did you feel like you wanted to get involved in the, the history of the Titanic? <laughs> the whole story started with me in a middle school reading a book. I'm a visual reader. So when I read a book, I get into the middle of it. You know, reading Lord of the Rings, everybody has a sword and they're slaying orcs. Um, I get into whatever book I'm reading and it's as if, as if I'm a character in the book. And I read Walter Lord's book, A Night to Remember. Walter Lord went to all the different survivors that he could get to. And he got their stories and he tried to piece them and sequence, sequence them and told that story of the sinking of the Titanic from the survivor's words, what they remembered, what they saw, what they experienced. And it's probably the best written book about the sinking of the ship. And so uh, reading that book fascinated me. I read it three times in two weeks. And this is as a middle schooler. Kids don't read much anymore, but this one did. Um, right. So I got involved with it, and I learned more and more as the years went out. I found out there was a passenger on board with my same last name. Now, no one in my family had ever said, oh, there was a Willard on the Titanic that's related to us. So I never thought much about it until about six years ago, Ancestry.com. Excuse me, that may be a free advertisement. Um, uh, is a wonderful device. If, if you're into searching for genealogy, it's one of several fantastic sites to find out about your history. So I was searched for Constance Willard and I started tracing her family line and traced it back to Horsmonden, Kent, England, which is where my family is from. So we found a common ancestor and I am a distant, distant, very distant. You know, we're talking eight or nine generations back, we had a common ancestor. So that cemented my um, reason for following Titanic, but it's just one of those things that captured me through school. I had to do a, a project on it and of course did very well in school because nobody had known much about it in the 1970s. And um, I got involved, got a chance to go out as an observer in 1996 at the expedition. They were trying to raise the big piece. Now, from where I'm sitting, Ben's up there. So behind Ben, they attempted to raise the big piece in 96. And due to several complications, they weren't able to raise it. Um, I met the principals involved, George Tullock and P.H. Narjolet. Um, wonderful, wonderful men, both of them. Uh, I made a proposal. I said, to me, it seems like the greatest pictures that you could get are from inside each of those staterooms in that ship. Um, they've got some artifacts that they've recovered off the debris field, but everyone that was on board that ship left their luggage. They left all their personal belongings. They put a coat on, they put a life belt on, they tied a sash into the, you know, uh, a belt around them, something like that. And they went up on deck with their shoes on and left everything in their rooms. And it's still in those rooms. And I said, that is where you're going to find incredible pieces to put in museums to show people. Mm -hmm. So we got into a discussion. I created an ROV in 1998. I was um, invited to be a part of the expedition. In addition to our ROV going down for this good first good test run, we raised the big piece. 
And that right there was the culmination of an incredible expedition involved a lot of major parties, NBC, the discovery channel, um, mm -hmm. both partnered in airing two different specials about it. We left from Boston, you know, Boston. When I got up there, they told me that the ship was over near the yard, and I tried to figure out what a yard was for 10 minutes before I, somebody laughed and said, yard, this is Boston. They don't pronounce the R's. I'm like, I got you. So I was able to find the ship. <laughs> so um, we left from Boston. Uh, the big piece returned about August 14th, I believe. It took four days to get back on the, the ship. They um, it sat outside where the World Trade Center building is. And then they lifted it up, transported it across the street, and there was a, a place that housed the artifact exhibit. Mm -hmm. I think that place is gone now. I think they, they no longer have that building now, but that's where it was. And then when we came back, first thing we did was went over to, to see what we had done. It was a very special trip. That's, that's actually an amazing story right there in itself. Wow. You know, just to be part of the expedition to go out there and, you know, creating the ROV to go down and, and get these pictures, but being part of raising the big piece itself in just the awe when that broke the surface. I mean, I, I got I got chills. <laughs> People were standing there breathless, literally. Because George Tullock looked at the portholes as they're halfway, you know, the big piece is halfway up and the portholes are out of the water. And he goes, the last time the sun went through those portholes was April 14th, 1912, before it sank. Right. And we're all sitting there going, trying to catch our breath. And this piece came up, they laid it down onto, a, um, they put ropes down as the cushion. Uh, heavy heavy ropes and that was a very excellent thing it's a very smart thing to do and even now when i go in to see the big piece i'll sit down and i just think of what it represents it's not just a piece of iron off the side of the ship to a lot of people it is to some right uh, some people used to write in the guest book you know it's saying get over it okay they don't get it they don't understand what it is right right um, but it represents 1,496 people who that night did not see the next day. It represented 712 people that made it into a lifeboat and had stories to tell and had an experience that nobody else in the world had ever experienced. Right. Some of them went on to live incredible uh, lives. Some of them lived very quiet lives. Um, but they were saved for a reason. And it was, it was an, an, an incredible story. It really was. But raising the big piece was a way to honor all those people. Right. Now, right. There, are there any, any plans in the future of raising more of it? The legal legalities of the Titanic shipwreck um, the Admiralty Court in Norfolk, Virginia, has arrested the ship. That's the legal term for it, which means they have the legal jurisdiction over the Titanic wreck site. RMS Titanic Inc. Out of uh, they're now in Atlanta, Georgia. They used to be out of Battery Place in New York City. 
there in Atlanta now is the legal entity who has rights to recover artifacts from Titanic. They are the only ones. Uh, The court has supervisory status over that. Uh, For example, what they'll do before they go out to do some things, the company goes, they make a report. They say, this is what we're planning on doing while we're out there. And the court says, proceed. Um, If there's anything that the court finds questionable, they may ask, work on this and come back. Or they may say no, um, because the court wants the wreck site to be treated respectfully. And I totally agree with that 100%. So makes sense. Makes sense. So they can go back. I do not know of um, their next expedition plan. I don't know that offhand. I do know that they are thinking about going back. Um, Other private companies, there was a big legal case where a tourist wanted to go see the Titanic on his own dollar. And so it got into the courts where you may own the recovery rights, but you don't own the rights to stop people from coming and looking. So we call them tourist dives where groups go down and they video and they take pictures but they're not allowed to touch. Um, so some people go down with those. There was a group called Ocean Gate. They're out of the state of Washington. They took their um, huge, beautiful submersible that they built called Titan over to Halifax and took it out and went down last summer and uh, got some high, high definition footage of a mm. lot of the, the ships and the condition of it, uh, the ship's parts and the condition of it right now. And they honored the no touch and brought back some great, great footage. So those are the things that happen. That's actually really cool. So uh, the piece that you, you brought up, um, was there a traveling exhibit with that? It did. It went around on the road for a while. I know it was in Chicago and it's been in several other places. Um, Was, uh, was it in mystic? Oh, yeah, I think it was in Mystic one time. It okay. may have been. I, I'm not I, for sure, I, I, but I believe it was up that way somewhere. Pretty, um, I'm pretty sure I went to that exhibit. The The thing is, is it weighs about 14 tons. It's huge. It's, you know, mm. um, very cumbersome to try to pick up. You have to have a forklift to do it or a crane. And so that means you got to offload it on the truck put it into a, a, an exhibiting platform where people can be safe, where it's not going to fall over. Uh, and then when the exhibit's over, you got to do the same thing in reverse, put it back on an 18 wheeler on the trailer of a truck, transport it to your next place. And that was very cumbersome. So the company in the old early two thousands, mid two thousands um, got it uh, booked into the Luxor and where it still is to this day. They had to bring in a large crane in through the doors of the Luxor into the interior. If you've ever been in there, they had to pick this piece up, lower it down, put it in place. And um, it would be a tremendous amount of work to remove that. So right now they're keeping it there and keeping it static. And it's it's pretty good. It's pretty nice. Yeah. Little now I know it's made out of you know iron or steel or whatever they made the things out of, uh, but how how brittle is it? You know how easily could it be damaged by moving? Right. Right now it's pretty tough. Um, okay. They went underwent conservation immediately when they brought it off of um, the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, 
they ran water on it and they tried to run deionized water on it to take the salt crystals out of the iron crystals, the iron mm -hmm. matrix of um, atoms there. And the more that they would run the deionized water, the more salt that was embedded would come out. And then once they got as much out as they could, they, they sealed it. They sealed it up. Yeah. So yes. to do that, to prevent oxidation and other types mm -hmm. of um, external damage to it, um, it's not brittle. It's a solid piece of iron still. Okay. It still is a very good, huge piece of iron. One of the things they had to do over Ben's shoulder, you'll see a part hanging down. And uh, there he goes, that, that part going down like the bottom of Texas sticks down. They had to yep. remove that bottom part because if you imagine it laying horizontally on a, a flatbed, this piece is sticking out into another lane. And that mm. got to be dangerous. So they separated that piece. And that lower piece is in Orlando in an exhibit. It stays down there. So you can go to the Orlando exhibit. They call it the little piece. It's really the little big piece, but you know, <laughs> they all came up with their cute little names for it and uh, the big piece and the, the little piece. So together, um, they're the giant piece. The, together, they're a, a dream. They're an incredible, right? incredible right. dream. So was the, um, was the glass still in the porthole? The glass was broken in most okay. of the portholes. Um, okay to the point of being fractured and, you know, because it was catastrophic when it hits the bottom of the ocean, this thing hit going about 23 miles per hour and it was 600 tons. Now it's filled with water. So in terms of physics, it had an incredible momentum. And when it right. hits the bottom, it just, it caused a lot of the things to, to fracture. The glass was about, about an inch thick. It was about an inch thick on it. And I think they removed it out, out of that piece for safety purposes, and they have that in a display. Okay. Good Makes question. Sense. Very good question. Yeah, that was actually a good question. I was going to bring up, because of all this, you, you actually wrote a book about this. We did. Um, five years ago, I had an idea that we need to share our stories. We lost several members of our expedition team. So I looked on this wonderful land of internet that we have now, and I started searching for as many of, his, of our team as I could. I contacted them, and I said, I'm thinking about writing a book. If you're interested, send me some paragraphs. Um, I'm going to put your paragraphs in the book, and uh, we'll see if we can't share this wonderful this, this ex expedition that we had, if we can't share the specialness of it with readers right. that are interested. And it took about six months to get everyone to submit. I had someone from Australia submitting. I had England. I had someone in uh, North, uh, Denmark. Couldn't think of the country for a minute. <laughs> had someone in Switzerland. Um, so it wow. was an international team, had some Canadians um, and as well as Americans. And uh, they shared their paragraphs. My publisher said, I've not heard of a book like you're thinking about. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, her publishing company is in Oklahoma. And uh, so we sent the first three paragraphs. My wife helped edit, excuse me, first three chapters. My wife helped edit. She takes a lot of my hyphens out. I do a lot of hyphens when I, I write. 
because I like to pause being a, a teacher, you pause at certain times mm -hmm. for emphasis. So she'd come back and take them out and put in semicolons or commas or period, new sentence and tell me, you know, that second paragraph work on it and I'd fix it. So she was an excellent editor. Um, we submitted it and uh, the editor go, the, the publisher says now it'll take me probably a few days to get around to this. And all of a sudden that night I get an email from her about 11 o'clock, her time, 1130 or 12 o'clock is late. And she said, I want you to know that I decided to go ahead and read your first chapter. And I was so hungry for chapter two. I said, I'm not going to stop here. I got to read the next chapter. Now he's built it up to this point. I got to see what happens next. So she read the chat, the second chapter. And then at the second chapter, she said, you didn't, you set me up again. I have to read the third chapter now. I'm not going to put this thing down. So she went ahead and read chapter three. And she says, when am I getting chapter four? Don't leave me hanging here, Bill. <laughs> you know, we, we, we want. And she said it was one of the best uh, reads she's had. Uh, she was not a Titanic person until she started reading this book. And um, that was a great honor for her to say that. Um um, I do have the paragraphs that people submitted. I have their paragraph with their name on it um, so that their names are in the book, their stories are in the book, their funny things, their sad things. And we even have a tribute to those that we had lost since the expedition. Several people didn't su submit paragraphs. They instead wrote a three to five page story uh, chronologically, whatever. And I couldn't break those up, so I put those in as appendices. And all in all, um, I was very proud of what everybody had accomplished. And uh, the people that have read the book have given it very high praise. And uh, we're, this book is being considered for a documentary leading up to the conference in August, uh, using it as the um, sort of the outline, the skeleton of the, of the documentary because it goes wow. through the segments of it um, to get there. They asked me, would I be the executive producer? Not the, yeah, the executive producer, because I'm the one that can tell them something without having to research it. And um, so I said, I'd be honored. I'd be glad to do that. That'd be great. And <coughs> excuse me. Oh, they're going to be down there possibly filming at our conference as the last segment of the documentary. Oh, getting cool. the reactions of the of the expedition team, getting reactions of tourists as they come through the exhibit uh, with their permissions, of course, you know, and everything, and just getting their thoughts and their feelings. And uh, to me, there's two types of Titanic documentaries. There's the ones about the science and the brittle steel and the rivets and the, how many different ways did it sink, and that appeals to people's minds. Mm -hmm. But once you get the reveal, you're done. You can move on to the next next event. But some of these stories appeal to the heart. Mm. The stories about the passengers. Um, when you hear about how a mother lost her two sons, and that's Rhoda Abbott, it rips your heart out. It really does. And it's so um, wrenching. It, it, it really, you, you have tears coming um, out of your eyes. It's just so sad and to know that this happened all throughout that the you know the the ship as it was sinking stories similar to that mm. what we did at our last year's titanic con 
is I had a, a wonderful lady here in town who has an English accent and she read Rhoda Abbott's story. I changed it from, I did, I changed it to first person. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I did this and I did this and this is what we did next. And this is, what, and she read it in that aspect and she put in dramatic pauses. She put emotion in her voice as if she were doing a reading for a cartoon or something like that. It was, she was so wonderful putting emotion into her words. We have a whole peop, a whole group of our conference attenders just sitting there, not breathing. You know, you couldn't even hear them breathing because they were just holding on to every word. And it's those heart stories that make Titanic incredible. James Cameron did that with his movie, The Ship Sank. But there is a part of the movie called Jack and Rose on the Love Boat. And that's what a lot of us call that. Um, the movie would not have been popular without the Jack and Rose love story. Um, I had a student walk into my class, high school student in those years. She goes, Coach Willard, how many times have you seen Titanic? And this was several months after it had been out. And I said, I think seven. And she said, we're going again tonight. This is my 28th time. I just love Jack. And I cry <laughs> so hard every time he dies. Uh, and she was serious. She she almost cried. <laughs> and, you know, she's high school senior or junior senior. She's in high school, uh, 11, I guess, 16, 17 years old. She just loved Jack, and she cried so hard every time he dies. And that's why he made $4 billion off that movie is because people right. went right. to see that story. And um, very special movie. Very special movie indeed. It's coming back out in a couple of weeks. I was going to say, yeah. it's, it's, it's set to be released again. Um, I believe you said Valentine's Day, correct? February 10th, I think, is the, well, right the around, weekend, yeah. the weekend right, right before yep. Valentine's Day right, is when right. it's coming out in our area. Um, um, I'll give you a spoiler. The ship does sink. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> wow. Did they, was, did they fix it where Rose saves them, though? Say again, did they fix? Did, do they fix it where Rose saves them? Because Mythbusters proved that she could save them. Yeah, Leo, what you just mentioned has caused a furor in the Titanic communities. Um, Mythbusters proved two people could have gotten onto that piece of wood. I love Mythbusters. Great show. And James Cameron says he has experts who says, no, they couldn't. And now they're even thinking about doing a documentary where Cameron's experts prove Mythbusters wrong. So we're going to have a battle of the scientists and uh, but if you think about the logic of it, if you think about the logic of it, every Shakespearean tragedy, the star doesn't survive. Hamlet. True. Hamlet is the best character, he, mm-hmm. you know, to be or not to be. And Hamlet doesn't survive in the end. And Romeo Another and Juliet do not. And <laughs> yep. Macbeth and all the rest of them. It wouldn't have worked if Jack would have lived. Yeah. It would not have, yeah. have had the effect that it had. And so um, a lot of people have, have wanted to posture on that one question. Just pull her up on it. Uh, the other thing that they've done with that scene where she's holding on to him and his head's above the water and he's about to freeze and he's about to, to lose it. And they put him in a pothole somewhere in their state. 
because of the road conditions in the area, you know, like he's down in a pothole yeah. and she's trying to pull him out of the pothole and road. So, you know, still getting some, some work on that, but the movie wouldn't have been the same if Jack would have survived. So um, the physics of it to me being a physics instructor is, I think they could have at least accommodated and pulled both on somehow. Um, but the, the vehicle would not have been the same. Right. Right. And that's, and that's just part of the movie. Correct. That's not Absolutely. actual event. Absolutely. Um, Hollywood. Hollywood. Ben, did Hollywood. you think it was real? I did. I liked Rose. I was going to go did look you? for the heart of the sea. Come on. Now, I did a practical <laughs> joke that's not listed in the book. I took my replica of the heart of the ocean, and we were on the back of the ship, and they had brought up a bin with some artifacts in it. And I went up, and I said, they recovered it. I'll be doggone. They recovered it. And there were several people like the cameraman who was standing there and the sound man going, holy smokes. They didn't say smokes. They said, holy something else. Stop. We got to recreate this because they thought the whole thing was real. And the several of us that was there, kept they kept saying, keep going, keep going. So they got a cameraman to come out and they said, let's start from the beginning. So I said, holy cow, they found it. They recovered it. It's real. And you know, the, the the director that was out there was just going, I can't believe this. This is incredible. Somebody walks up and says, well, you know, that's Hollywood. That's that whole thing's made up. It's not real. And the guy looks over at me and said, Willard, are you pulling on pulling my chain? And I went, he said, all oh, that's bogus. And I went, that's right. He said, that is not funny. And the other guys near, around me said, oh, it was hilarious. You should see the look on your face. If they would have had their little cell phone cameras, if those had been invented, that would have been even funnier than what I was doing is watching them believe that that was real. That, that's, those are the kinds of stories and things that we did out there. We had some fun. That's too funny. So, so to all our viewers and listeners later on, you can check the show notes up above or down below to find out where to get a copy of our story celebrating the 20th anniversary of the 1998 Titanic expedition. Did I do that right? Perfect. Close enough. I did my show notes. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, yeah, we're going to urge you if you're, if, if you're like us and you're into history, especially the Titanic and I would definitely pick that book up and uh, have a read, maybe even bring it to the conference Titanicon, which we're here promoting tonight. I know they're selling tickets for it somewhere. I think it might be in the show notes. You'll have to check, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to put that up February 1st and make everything open and available. We're going to have a three-day conference in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, the Luxor is the home of Big Peace, and we're going to celebrate the 9th, the 10th, and the 11th of August. Uh, the uh, members of the expedition team will be there and they will happily sign your book. Uh, they will also be there for posing for pictures and photos and um, autographs. Uh, we're going to have some posters for sale and some, some things like that. We're going to have sessions and we're hoping for a third day of having actors from the movie attend. I was, I was just going yeah, to that ask would be, that would be pretty I was cool. just going to ask that. So to all our, PR, our agents, and everybody that we're affiliated with that we book guests on the show for, if you have one of those people, 
reach out to Mr. Willard because he'll get you in touch and hey, get the actors down there. Let's make it a big thing for these people. We'd love for them to be out there and and relive. You know, that movie was such a special event. It really was. James Cameron went to the people who made the carpet for the original Titanic to make carpet for his Titanic. He went to the same plate people and the silverware people and the, the lamp people to make using the same plans for his movie. He wanted it to be as accurate as he could be. He made one mistake. Titanic was pulled up against the dock on its port side. Now my image shows it correct. What I'm seeing at least here's the dock and the ship mm -hmm. is aimed out and the port side is against it. But when he made the ship, he had it this way. Yes, he did. So what he had to do was he had to take the words white star and put them backwards. He had to take the car that pulls up with Rose in it wearing her little purple outfit. They had to rearrange it and put the steering wheel on the opposite side. And they had to, it's brilliant, film through a mirror so everything's backwards on purpose. So all those signs are written backwards. The actors do everything that they're supposed to. They get on the ship. And then once they do that, everything inside is, is done correctly so they're able to do it. But that shows, oops, how can we fix this? Problem right. solving to a major power level. And basically all they had to do was flip the words, film in a mirror, problem solved. Uh, Why didn't they just turn the ship around? It wasn't a floating ship. It was a static ship. That was the easy thing. Uh, but those people, <laughs> we'd love to have them come down. We really would. If there's any actors out there, send me a private message. We'd love to, to have you get recognized for the outstanding work that you did. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now uh, I read something the other day. Um, so it's, they got the first ice warning at nine, but I read that they could smell the iceberg prior. Is that true? If you believe one could smell an iceberg. Um. In the past 15 years, there's been a mirage theory come out that says that's why they couldn't see the iceberg. I don't necessarily subscribe to that, uh, but the sea was in such a calm state. Usually you see the water crashing up against the bottom of the iceberg, and you can see the white caps. And that's what you can notice when you're looking against a black silhouette and a black background. And um, I think it was just they were on it before they knew it. And by the time they could tell what it was, it was about too late. It was so it, it was fate. If you believe in fate, believe. It, it was fate. It, there was yes. a reason it was there. It was a reason it happened. Let's be honest. If it didn't happen, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about this. Absolutely. You know, you know I mean, unfortunate. There's, there's, yeah, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of theories and a lot of different discussions about uh, you know the design of the ship. Uh, it, that you know, quote, it was unsinkable, uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. In your professional opinion, was there a flaw in the construction of that ship? <coughs> Pardon me. Um, you asked two good questions there in that one question. 
1912, when that ship was launched, it was the state of the art. Mm-hmm. It was the top of the line. And what they had done was they had taken this ship and they had put watertight bulkheads throughout mm-hmm. the ship. But the watertight bulkheads did not go all the way up like they do in today's ships. They only went up a couple of floors above the waterline. And it was such a brilliant design that if it was punctured in one place, that place would fill up to the waterline because it's it's held up by the other watertight bulkheads. If it was hit smack in the middle of two of them, these two would fill up to the waterline, but you, it's being held up by all these others. As a matter of fact, four of the first four of uh, the first bulkheads um, could be filled with water, and it would still stay up. But this ship, as it went down by this iceberg, it stripped off rivets. Now the hole, they know this by the rate at which water filled the interior of the ship, was about the size of your refrigerator door, about fifteen square feet. So it was a very small opening. If yeah. it would have been punctured in one, it'd still be floating and it would have made it fine. But it was little openings, maybe this big, that separated rivets and water sprayed in in the first five watertight compartments. It could stay afloat with four, but not five. The pumps could not accommodate for that fifth opening. So... If you want to call that a flaw, uh, it was not as if, oops, they forgot to do something. It's just they were um, mutating. They were modifying the current designs, and they had done this brilliant idea of making these watertight bulkheads. And when Titanic started to get water in the forward end, it started going under. And that caused the water to pour into the next watertight compartment. And then it sank a little more into the next. It sank a little more into the next. It's like water pours into an old mm-hmm. ice cube tray. Remember those? Mm-hmm. And yep. it filled just like that until the ship was, um, you know, unable to recover. So I don't want to say flaw. Um, they could fix that. But at the time, this was, you know, something incredible. This was something really new. And that's why they mm-hmm. thought, wow, if, you know, if, a ship rams them, it's going to flood two compartments, maybe three, it's still going to float. That's where the the practically unsinkable came from. Right. Okay. So in theory, they would have been better off hitting that thing head on instead yeah, of just trying to turn. That. Is, that, is that correct? Here's the second part of that question. That's an excellent question. Some people have said if it collided head on, it's going to crush the first maybe couple of bulkheads. Titanic had something called an expansion joint a little ways back. And that made the ship a little bit flexible because you, this one whole large piece, mm. you hold back in and lift it up. The front end is going to do this on it and it's going to snap and break. It would have possibly crushed that expansion joint and then you've cut the ship open. So that is a, uh, several groups have tested that theory as well. And um, the expansion joint failed in their test. So that might would have been just as devastating. Right, right. There's been a lot of theories. Opening the watertight doors so that the water settled all the way throughout the ship so that it wouldn't nosedive as quickly was one option. 
And um, the testing results of that was that the ship would list over and then capsize. And that would make it really treacherous. Wow. So what you yeah. said a minute ago, it was an event where if anything could go wrong, it all did at the same time. It, it right. was just, right. They went more it, southerly to avoid the icebergs, and there it was. Right. It was all pieces were put in play because it was supposed to happen. It's just like everyday life. Even now things happen every day. It's, it's, it's meant to happen that way for whatever reason beyond our control. Uh, but we have had some, some comments coming in and some questions coming in. I don't know if you were able to see that. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, I, I, go, I, ahead, go ahead, Leo. I'll let you read uh, it. Cause you're better. Yeah, Film Marleyan Animated is at saying Astor Strauss Guggenheim. What do you think about JP Morgan not getting aboard? Too kooky? The Titanic is a very fascinating subject. The Federal Reserve theory has been out there for a few years. Somebody thought these were the richest men in America and uh, they were on the ship on purpose and it went down on purpose and it, Coincidence, possibly. I don't subscribe to the theory that it was intentional. Um, if I'm rich and I'm one of the biggest, richest people in America, I'm going to ride on the best thing. I'm going to ride on it with other rich people. Mm -hmm. And um, right. like you said, it was just the fate that I, they I, were there. Yeah, I find it really hard to believe that that was orchestrated. There's, right, there's right. Too, many, too many parameters that would have had to come into play. And the insurance money would is always less than what the actual ship costs to begin with. And then you're saying you're accusing somebody of over 2,200 murders. And right. even if, and um, who would have run the ship into an iceberg? You're saying Captain Smith directed it into an iceberg. No, he would not have done that. Um, neither would any of his officers because they were not going to survive if that happened. Right. So, it is it is a coincidence that a lot of the richest people in America were on board. It really is. But I don't see it as a conspiracy. Uh, speaking of fate, um, this is a story I've heard for, for a while, and I just had to look up her name. Uh, Violet Jessup? Great story. Yeah, do you guys know about that? No. No. Bill Violet like Jessup was a steward on Titanic. Before she was on Titanic, she was a, um, a uh, on board the Olympic, the first of the three ships. Mm -hmm. Olympic had a collision with a, a British naval vessel called the Hawk. So she was on the Olympic when it had a collision. The Olympic did not sink, but it had to be taken back and repaired and had a lot of damage to it. And there were people killed in the collision because the prow of one ship plowed right into the Olympic and it made a huge triangular hole in the side of it. So then she gets on to Titanic and Titanic sinks. She is saved. She was a steward. She was a, 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 a lady. Ladies went first mm -hmm. as much as they could get them in the boats. And then even after Titanic, she was serving world war one broke out and the third ship was called the Britannic before the Britannic could be put into transportation of um, Atlantic passengers, it was commandeered as a hospital ship and they were taking it to the Mediterranean 
I think they were taking it to help with the Battle of Gallipoli victims, or it was a battle down in the Mediterranean area. It struck a mine off the coast of Kia, K-E-A, and it sank very quickly. And Violet Jessup was on it and survived that wreck. Wow. So she survived all three major wrecks of the, the Olympic class ships, Olympic, Titanic, and Britannic. And I don't know about you guys, but if I would have survived one of them, I probably would have taken a job on land for the rest of my life. I, I was just going to say that. Well, yeah, I was just going to say three strikes. You're out, man. I mean, well, three strikes. Well, oh, she survived all three. Either that or was, after that third one, I'd be playing the lottery. Thank right. you. What was her name? <laughs> what, what was Violet Jessup, J-E-S-S-U-P. Um, yeah, great a, story. No, I, I, I did not know that. I mean, no, that's did, cool. I got to look you, that up. Yeah. So She wrote a book. She has a book out there that's got her story into it, and it's an excellent read. It's an excellent read. i check into that. Wow, that's really cool. Right? But like wow. you said, yeah, I wouldn't, you know, the second ship, eh, okay, maybe, but the third one, fuck no. I wouldn't uh, another great ship. story is Charles Lytoler. Lytoler was the second officer of Titanic, and he was trying to get the upside-down collapsible. They had um, several upside-down lifeboats that were broken down, and what they would do is take them and turn them over and then swing them out after they put the first boat out. Now, the ship is getting so low, what they ended up doing is flipping it and then walking it into the water. Um, Lytoler was pulled into an air duct. It looks like the tuba on the ship. And there was mm -hmm. an explosion, and it blew him out of that air duct. And he ended up in the water, and he said he turns around, and by the time he got back up to the surface, he was already 30 to 40 feet away from the ship. It had gone down that quickly. He swam over to an upside down lifeboat that was floating in the water and people were fighting to get on top of it. So this officer climbs up on there, tells everybody order. We must maintain order here. We must have order. And men stood up and lined up behind him. Now he would tell them, okay, now lean to the right just a little bit, hold it, hold it. And he'd start tilting over and he'd say, lean back to the left, hold it, hold it. And they did this for about an hour and a half until another lifeboat came over and offloaded those standing passengers. So he saved, I think it was 23 people by doing that. Later wow. in his life, the Battle of Dunkirk was occurring. And if you know the story of Dunkirk in England, yep. uh, France, excuse me, it was the English, the British troops over there. They couldn't get the ships in to rescue the troops. The Germans were just barraging the, the British troops. And so Operation Dynamo was born. And Lytoler led 600 boats. These are trawlers and fishing ships. Yep. And here they go across the um, English Channel at one time in this armada of ships. And they pull up on the beach because they have low drafts and they're pulling soldiers in. And as soon as they get them in, the soldiers push them back out and they go back. And Lytoler had a small little yacht and he made two trips as he made trips as well to rescue as many sailors uh, of the, the soldiers as they could. Right. And right. Um, what an incredible story. If you see the movie Dunkirk yep. um, that they had out mm -hmm. a year or two ago, that character played by. Um, 
Oh, I, I've seen it, but I can't remember who it is. Yeah. You know the actor that I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, plays a done uh, uh, um, a lie toller like character, and that right. is what we we all said. Yeah, they based that on the lie toller story because his boat actually looks a lot like the Sundowner, which was lie toller's yacht. Right. That's uh, yeah. I mean, wow. wow. <laughs> no, wow. I read. I was reading somewhere. Rylance, Mark Rylance. That was his name. Mark Rylance, okay. Yeah, so I was reading somewhere, I don't know if it's true or not, maybe you can uh, shed some light on it, uh, that there was actually a, um, there was a lawsuit filed against, um, it had to do with one of the actors in the movie. Oh, uh, a lawsuit took a bribe. Uh, uh, yeah. Is that um, true? There was a scene that Cameron had put in the movie where mm -hmm. the first officer, Murdoch, took a bribe mm -hmm. and then eventually shot himself. Yes. Um, there is no evidence that the real officer, Murdoch, did either of those. There'd be no way he'd take a bribe, for example. Um, he would be too busy getting women and children into the lifeboats as much as he could. Um, there was testimony that some officer shot himself, but it, the passengers would have known Murdoch. They would have known the top three or four officers on the ship just because those first-class people traveled so much. So right. it is very, very doubtful, slim to 0% that it was Murdoch that did that. Uh, one of my theories is it may have been Chief Officer Bell, but I have nothing to support that on except for he's the only one that I've eliminated that's not been eliminated yet based on my readings. I may be totally wrong, but it, in my opinion, it was not Murdoch. The family was not of Murdoch. Now the, the, the current descendants um, weren't really pleased with his portrayal. And so I don't know if there was a lawsuit per se, but I do know that uh, James Cameron in an effort to, to make peace uh, made a very nice donation to uh, a cause of the families. And I believe it was a school. Okay. And the family accepted that. And um, it was literary poetic license, I guess is the term for it where. Right. He put that in there, even though there was no actual proof that it was, it was Murdoch. Right. Okay. right. And uh, I thought that was a nice gesture on Cameron's yeah. part to, you know, to try to say, I, I don't know if he even came out with a quote apology, but to make this gesture to 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 reconcile, um, I thought was very nicely. You know, yeah. last last time. Yeah. So to our viewers and listeners, I mean, if you want to find out more about this, head out to Titanicon in August in Vegas. So just keep an eye out on the interweb for Titanicon. I believe you said it was going to be launching February. First, first beginning of February, we're going to put the details <laughs> on how to sign up for it. And you've put the website up there that tells more details that will tell details about it and yeah. how to find out more if you want to find more. Right. And that's in the show um, notes up above yep. or down below, depending on where you're watching or listening to us. Okay. Uh, there was one other thing, you know, because I, I know we're starting to get tight on time. There was another thing that I wanted to ask you about. And I believe it's 90. 92, 92 graves, I believe, of unknowns. Uh, 42, 42 unknowns. 42. 42, 
42. Okay. Uh, I looked at a four as a nine. Um, <laughs> that's old age. Uh, so it, that's something that you're getting involved with to try and identify these unidentified. Is that true? Um, when Titanic sank, uh, White Star enlisted several ships to go out and recover bodies. Um, some were buried at sea because of the condition of the recovery, and the rest were taken to Halifax in Nova Scotia. Halifax did a wonderful job of taking care of, of the Titanic victims. Uh, those that could be identified, uh, if they were first or second class, usually were claimed by their families and shipped back to cities in America and Canada or back to England uh, for the most part. Um, those that were not, usually the poorer families could not afford those costs. They were buried there. Three cemeteries in Halifax, uh, the Baron de Hirsch Cemetery, the Mount Olivet Cemetery, and the Fairview Lawn Cemetery are the homes for those graves. And all three cemeteries have done above and beyond to honor and to take care of those graves. They've done an outstanding job. With my crazy family genetic project of discovering that I had family on the ship, I sought and have assembled an international team of people, and we have offered to go to each of the unknown graves and to recover a DNA sample. Don't not take the body out of the grave and show it on right, TV, right, right. just to go down and to find and get one small sample and a backup sample, two, two samples for testing. I have two DNA clinics. One is in, um, in Europe and one is in America. And those two DNA samples will come up with a DNA sequence for which our history team, and we've got some of the best passenger and crew experts um, that I know personally, and they've all said, I will volunteer my time. I'll be, I'd love to be a part of this to help find the identities of these people. And if you think about it, all we can give these victims, these 42 victims now, is their name. That's the only thing mm -hmm. we can give to them. Yep. And we can give them their family coming there and paying tribute then. And so it would have been no cost to the cemeteries. Uh, the cemeteries, um, COVID stopped us from really meeting with them. They were hesitant about it. They thought that the general public may not be in favor of this. Uh, but the Titanic families, we have been in touch with 243 family members who lost a family member on the ship. And all of them support this project and all of them say, take my DNA. You know, all you got to do is spit in a little cup and uh, I'll be glad to do that. I would love to find out if my grandfather or my great grandfather or my great uncle is buried there. Please let me help you. What do I need to do? So, um, if we can get back with the cemeteries and they agree to do that, we feel strongly that for every one that we can obtain viable DNA from, that we can use the technology of today's DNA identif identification mm, and right. put names for each of those people. And the project name them all is also on that website. PNTA is the name of the project project name them all. You can click on that and read what you think about it there and, you know, send me a message. If you support us, I'll add your name to the thousands that have already supported us. And we really appreciate 
Well, you can add my name. I'll tell you that right now. I think I told you that on the phone too. Because God, I thank you, believe, Ben. I'm going to put you down in top of one of the lists. I do believe that, you know, if one of my ancestors was on that ship and in parished, it, we don't know where they are. If there was even the slimmest chance it, that it was one of the bodies of the unknowns, I would want to know. Exactly. Even uh, if I couldn't afford to go there in my lifetime to visit it, I still would want to know. You would probably try to save up to do so if we were going to put that name plaque on and invited you to come up. You would try to do that. Right. You know, we can find the train to get Nova, you up there. You know, Halifax, Nova Scotia is just a hop, skip, and a jump. You go up oh, I know. I mean, cat, it's to, actually, believe, believe it or not, it's actually on my bucket list. There you go. Be, my, I've had a couple of family members that have gone to Nova Scotia and they said, you'd love it. You'd love it. Just go to. I'm always traveling south. <laughs> I don't well, know. Come on down it. here. We'd love to have you. No, and did it as a day trip, dude. Yeah, actually, uh, you're in what? South or north? I'm in Asheville, Carolina. North Carolina, home of the Biltmore House. So it's a beautiful, yep, beautiful House, place. If you know where the Biltmore yep. is. Yep, I've yep. been to Asheville. Beautiful, yeah, been there, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, I haven't. I drove past it mm. when we went to when I went down to Myrtle Beach a couple years ago. Myrtle um, Beach is South Carolina's most number one visited tourist spot. Yep. When we always go to Myrtle Beach, we see every license plate Ohio has. And I always <laughs> have said, if Canada ever wants to invade America, what they need to do is wait till the summer and invade Ohio because Ohio is either at Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, or Orlando, Florida. Nobody right. else is at home. You know, They could take over Ohio without having to fire a weapon. <laughs> They're always on the road. <laughs> so let's see, North Carolina. Yep. Yeah. Well, any of you guys come to Asheville, let me know, and I'll buy you lunch. I got a couple of great places. Oh, nice. Well, like. I I got um, me and my wife own some land down in a uh, little place called Collettesville, which is about a half hour from Blowing Rock. Uh. Okay, so we go down there, you know, every once in a while just to check out the land. And well, yeah, I was just we, trying to we, figure out yeah. how far down, how we many took hours. took a trip it, down to Asheville. Mm -hmm. Day trip, easy day you trip. Know, it, easy day trip. It was absolutely. That moon blowing rock and Lake yep, Lure area are just absolutely yep. fabulous. Yep. Especially yep. if you get to go up in October. It's it's uh, like you've never seen it. And actually, it was, it was the fall when we were down there because we took uh, – we purposely went in October, late October, because we wanted to take that ride up the Blue Ridge Parkway in the fall, which was gorgeous. Absolutely. Well, such a great, great op opportunity you had. That's Everybody needs to do that once in their life. Yeah, yes. I actually, I was, I was just going to say that because we, uh, we have to go to Georgia, you and I, Jeff. We're we driving to, well, yeah, we're driving to Georgia in uh, August for a con. Oh, we are? Yeah. You're going to Dragon Con down there? No, actually, we're going to Georgia Pop and Horror Con in Columbus, Georgia. Okay. First year Pop and Horror Con. Um, put on by some great guys. Billy Middlestat and uh, his partner, Brian. Pain in my butt. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> they do... A show in Maryland, a show in Virginia, and this year they're dropping one in Georgia. So, you know, 
You never know. We might take you up on that. We might just, I think it's about lunchtime, man. Let's just, yeah. You give me a call. I'll meet you and I'll tell you where to go. It's a great place. A couple of great places. Two hours out of the way to see. That's all right. Let's go. It's only two hours. It's only two hours. We've been on the road for 27. Who cares? No, it's like 13. I think Boston's like 12 or 13 from where I'm at. Yeah, I was going to say it's about about 12 or 13 hours because it took us 15, just over 15 and a half to get to Myrtle Beach. Yeah, and you got to go on 95 well. too. That's such a, that's a, that's everybody takes their life into their own risk in 95. You're doing 85 or 90 miles an hour, and here comes four cars from New York that just blow you off the road. You know, or, you, or you're driving through New York and a truck tire explodes and almost takes you off the road. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. That happened to us on our way back from, was it uh, Virginia last Virginia. year, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we were on the wow. on the on ninety five coming through Jersey, and this guy came flying up and on the side of us, got in front of us. Thank God he did, because that truck tire exploded and took him out right, right into in front the side. Boom! And I don't know how he made it through there because it was debris flying everywhere. I but, played a lot of GT. Yeah, we not a scratch on the truck, but I think we both soiled ourselves. <laughs> yeah. I can I, I can relate to that. <laughs> I can so, understand that. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, thank you, gentlemen, for a we wonderful are, conversation. Awesome, yeah. awesome, awesome. Excellent. I mean, I wish we could. I, I, I have a tons of questions, but we well, we're just going to have to meet up. Yeah, we would have to meet up, and I think, um, I think I'm going to have to buy the book. Now, uh, I, do it, I, and when you know, come down for lunch, I'll autograph it for you. You know, I'm going to have to buy the book. I'm going to urge everybody else that's you know. Any any historic type people out there, but especially you know the Titanic style stuff. There's get the, the plug. Book. There's, There's the, the plug. Yeah, right. it's it. Yeah, there it it's is. It's in the show notes. It's yep. in the show notes up above or down below. I did find the link on the Amazon site for it, so it is in the show notes, folks. It's not not that expensive. I would say buy the book and then head down to Vegas if you can to Titanicon. And have this wonderful gentleman sign it, along with everybody join, else. Join our Titanic Conference family. We'd love to have you be a part of it. You know, we we're we love everybody that comes in the door that wants to find out something about Titanic, and we make great friends. I mean, I'm blown away just by what you've been able to experience with the Titanic and the knowledge you have of the Titanic, being a direct, you know, a distant descendant of somebody on the titanic and everything that you're doing to preserve the whole thing i mean it's just you know fabulous i'm just i've, I've been very blessed i've had some opportunities that were put before me that are not common they're very unusual opportunities and i was just able to be a part of a lot of those things i was not one of the big wigs on this expedition i was one of the you know we got him along for for something else so I wasn't like a Knowledge. major, major player there, but I'm a major player that observes and listens and absorbs. And I was the right. one that shared the story. And it, it was such a great story to tell about everything that these people have done. And here I am. I'll give you an example on Boston when we had the press conference right before we left. I'm standing in the back of this group of incredible people. Okay. And so I decided I wanted to watch instead of, you know, hearing it from behind. So 
I walked out from behind where I was supposed to be behind the people asking the questions so that these others could say things like I hear them answering. And all of a sudden they ask a question and Tom Detweiler, who was at the microphone said, we'll bring him up here to answer. And he starts looking around. He says, where's Bill? Anybody seen Bill? Bill, are you here? And he says, he's supposed to be here with us. And I said, here I am. I was over on the other side. So I had to come back and walk back around. I was never, I didn't think they would ask me a question like that. I just, you know, I stepped up to the microphone and I'm, I'm a, a little bit of an out uh, extrovert. You've seen that tonight. Um, but it was humbling to be there with these people who I had honored and revered so long mm. standing beside them. And that was just an incredible blessing in my life is to, to be one of that group. It really was. So Thanks. I have a final question for myself anyway. Okay. Yeah. A percentage, give me a percentage of how accurate you think the movie was to the actual story. If you take out Jack and Rose on the love boat, Cameron went to extreme detail to make it very accurate. Hallways, ship's actions, words, phrases between other people. He showed scene where a boy was spinning a top. And that's when Jack stole the coat so he could sneak back in to talk to Rose again. And there's a photograph of young Douglas Spedden from the state of Maine spinning a top. So uh, he took that scene and built a movie scene around it, that photograph and build his mm. movie scene. Um, so, but the Jack and Rose part, 0%. Um, some people said Rose was a combination of several people. She may have said a few of the sentences, a few did, but Rose was an independent, unique, special character, as was Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio's character. Uh, there was not a Billy Zane character. He was magnificent, though, playing the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And But if you take those characters out and you look at the ship in motion and you look at the decks and you look how people strolled around and went into the dining areas, it's almost as if you were really there. And uh, okay. those of us who are Titanic enthusiasts appreciated his eye for extreme detail in those, mm. those parts of the movie. Leo, any last questions? Uh, I do not know. All right. So, so all our viewers and listeners, like we said, you know, check the show notes up above or down below, depending on where you're watching or listening to us. Check out the book that this amazing gentleman has written. And sometime around Valentine's Day, if you got nothing to do, take, take your significant other to the theater. They're going to put Titanic back up on the big screen. I mean, we saw it on the big screen. I, I think I went with with you, Jeff. I think it was me and my wife and you and your wife when it came out. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was the four of us. Yep. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I mean, I've seen it a hundred times because it's a great movie. Yeah, and, and cried. Well, you, you know, know, it's because Jack died. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> you take a disaster and you turn it into a sad love story. You know what I mean? It's right. I mean, it's, that's right. really what it was all about, right. that movie. Right. The opening of it, the newsreel segment is what makes it tears me up. It really does because it shows the people waving in that choppy newsreel sepia yep. tone. And it's got mm -hmm. that incredible soundtrack to it. Oh, mercy. That soundtrack was one of a kind. 
I hear that soundtrack or the or the theme song for that every day. It's my wife's ringtone for my daughter. I don't know why, but she, one of my daughters. So That's she her calls heart. every day. Continuing on. What a great yeah. idea. So thank you, gentlemen. That, it has been a great, note, great honor. No, thank you for it. coming out and hanging out. Leo, on that note, you know what yeah, to do. We'll wrap it up. I want to thank everybody for watching this fine evening. For me, just Google Leo Pond. You'll find a bunch of stuff. Could be true, could be not. I'm not going to say which is which, but I run the Dorkening Podcast Network. we got a ton of shows on the network. There's a lot of awesome people doing a lot of awesome stuff. Head on over to thedorkening.com. You can learn more. Uh, Bill, where do you like people interacting with you on social media? Um, TitanicCon23 is the Facebook page where we will be doing some discussion about the conference very soon. VoyagesExploreTitanic.com is the website. One word, VoyagesExploreTitanic.com. If you send a message on either one of those locations, um, it will get to me. Awesome. Jeffrey. Oh, you want to contact me? <laughs> Good luck no. with that. No. Go to uh, stilltoken.com. Everything you'll find is right there. All our links to all our socials are right there. Or if, you know, if you're a Facebook user, just go to, uh, you know, Talking with the Dead. Uh, we might get back here. We might not. Depends on my mood. It might be tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Benjamin. <laughs> Oh, I can't take him anywhere. Oh, I'd like to take I'd like to take him somewhere. Asheville. No. No, Vegas? No, under, oh, under the sea? Under the sea. There you go. Oh, under I the get sea. It. Okay. All right. Yay. All right. Hey, bravo, bravo. Hey, he's smarter than the average bear. No, like Jeff said, check out uh stilltoking.com. You can find everything you want to know about us from the comic book to the TV series to the animation to the upcoming novel release to this amazing show. Um, want to thank Bill again for taking his time tonight and opening our eyes a little wider to uh, one of the biggest tragedies in history. But to all our veterans and first responders, we want to thank you for doing what you do so people like us can do what we do. Stay safe. We'll see you next week. We're out of here. Bye. Bye.